love it when God brings the words that we need to hear and uh, puts it in music. And that's what, exactly what I needed to hear this morning. So thank you for listening to God in that. Uh, for those of you who, do not, uh, who don't know me, my name's Bruce Rothacre, and uh, just what an honor and privilege to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. I'm going to ask if you would stand one more time just for the reading of God's Word here. And just reading one verse this morning from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, let's start with prayer here. Father, again, every time I come to this point, every time I come to this place, I am just so reminded that my words are not nearly enough, but your word is always, always enough for us. And so I pray one more time that by your Holy Spirit, you would take your word and that you would put it into our hearts and in our minds and our lives this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 1.6, it's a, a verse that's very familiar to most of us. I suspect we've quoted it multiple times. Uh, we would say we love this verse. We, we come back to it again and again. But there's one problem with it. There, there comes at times points in our life where we look at this verse and we begin to doubt it. Uh, we wouldn't use that language. We wouldn't come and say, you know, I, I know God has said this, but I just don't think it's true. Uh, we would use other language, something like, uh, I don't know how God keeps putting up with me. Or as a, a friend said recently, I feel like I never measure up. But what we're saying is, I don't, I don't see God doing this in me. So here's some, some quick examples of uh, times, perhaps, when we doubt this, uh, this scripture. Uh, maybe it's when I am struggling with sin, uh, with my own sin, and, and it grieves my heart. And so I can, uh, I can understand the psalmist when he says in, in Psalm 13, verse 2, How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And we can relate to Asaph. When he says in Psalm 73, he says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had nearly slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on to describe this, how uh, the wicked that he sees around him are, are prospering and they're doing quite well, thank you. And he says, I I'm, I'm punished every day. I try to be righteous, I try to be pure, and I'm punished every day. And he comes to this point of saying, if I had spoken like that, I would have betrayed your children. But he says, I was, I was senseless. When, I, when my heart was, was like this, I was senseless. I was a brute beast when my heart was embittered. And we get David when he says in, in Psalm 32... In Psalm 32, when he says, For day and night, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped 
as in the heat of summer. We look at our sin and we say, will I never get past this? I don't feel like I measure up. The question is, measure up to what? Measure up to what? And, and that's another area where sometimes we begin to say we doubt the scripture when we're reminded of what God says about us. Now, I have to admit here, uh, some of the principles, two particularly of the principles in the message this morning, uh, are going to sound eerily similar to the last two weeks uh, when, when Pastor Sam was uh, preaching to us. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, Peter, in his epistle, he says, it's, it's good for me to remind you of things that you already know. Uh, so some of these things will sound familiar. Uh, but what God calls us in Scripture, and it's amazing what God says about us. Uh, he calls us saints. Uh, Paul's epistles over and over again to the uh, church at Rome, he says, to, to those in Rome called to be saints, uh, to the church at Ephesus, to the saints in Ephesus, uh, to the uh, saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, over and over in his epistles, he reminds us that God calls us saints. God says we are children of God. In John 1, uh, verse 12, it says that Jesus came to his own, his own didn't receive him, but to as many as received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To become children of God. He calls us children of God. And then in, and the, I apologize, I put the wrong verse on here, in Romans 8, uh, verse 17, uh, it says, if we are children... And God has said, we're children of God if we put our trust in Jesus Christ. If we are children of God, he says, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. He says, we are loved ones in Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, he's quoting from Hosea, the, from the book of Hosea. And he says, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one, who is not my loved one. And again, over in uh, Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, uh, he says, Therefore, dearly, uh, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and not just loved, he says, dearly loved, holy and dearly loved by God. He says, we are friends of Christ. John chapter 15, uh, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. He said, instead, I call you friends because everything that I've learned from the Father, I've revealed to you. He says, we are friends of Christ. One that just blows me away from 2 Corinthians uh, is that we are the righteousness of God. In 2 Corinthians 5.12, God says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him, in Jesus Christ, we might be made the righteousness of God. He says we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Galatians 3.27 says all who have been baptized into Christ are clothed in Christ. We are clothed with Christ. 
Uh, it just, we go on and on. Uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew uh, 5.13, he says, you're the light of the world. You are what brings clarity to a world that is, is just so stumbling around. You are what brings sight to a world that's blind. And the very next verse, he says, you're the salt of the earth. We use that phrase sometimes, the salt of the earth is just meaning that, that person's a good person. You know, they're the salt of the earth. But he says, no, he says, you, you are the one that influences the world around you. You are the one that keeps the world from spoiling, that helps to preserve it. You're the salt of the earth. Uh, and again, uh, Jesus says uh, that, he's our, uh, that we are his inheritance over in Ephesians chapter 1. He says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. When God's given out inheritances, he gives us Christ, and he gives Christ us. And we look at that and say, well, wow, he sure got the short end of that deal. And Jesus says, no, no, this is the inheritance I've wanted. This is, our, this is his inheritance. We are Jesus' inheritance. Uh, again, in Revelation, the bride of Christ, it says, for the, the wedding uh, of the lamb is, is at hand, and the bride has made herself ready. That's us, the bride of Christ. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, he calls us a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Uh, that's just a small sampling of what God says about us in scripture and sometimes we look and we just say I, I don't see God doing that I don't see God doing that in me I know my own heart and I'm not living like that and so we doubt sometimes the truth of this verse now that's some of the the when when we begin to doubt uh, but want to look a little bit more closely at why why do we doubt uh, if I may, if I can just take a short rabbit trail and dispatch with one thing uh, very quickly, because there are some times that people don't worry about this verse, not because they are at a point where they have confidence, you know, they, they understand this, this and have the confidence of what God's doing in their life, but there are some times there, where some people don't worry about the verse because they continue to live in their sin. They continue to live in their sin and live with their sin because they have no intention of struggling against the sin. And they have no intention of struggling against the sin because they're misusing, they misuse the grace of God. They say something like, well, you know, hey, I, I prayed this prayer, I filled out this card, I said these words, I asked Jesus into my heart, and that's all that matters. If I continue to sin, it really doesn't matter in an ultimate kind of sense. And their favorite phrase to quote is, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Right, right. And it's a wonderful scripture. The problem is that they don't understand the context of that scripture. And so if we can just kind of dispatch with this quickly in the same way that Paul did in, in Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we, he starts off saying, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning 
so that grace may increase? By no means. By no means. But if you come down to verse 11, listen to what he says, because this is the context of that. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master. That is the context. Sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. He says, when you were under law, you were tied to sin. You were bound to sin. Now you don't have to sin. And so I just say, don't, don't be that person who thinks that your sin doesn't matter because you're under grace. It's precisely because you are under grace that it does matter. So we want to just dispatch with that quickly. But sometimes for, for those of us who, who know, who know Jesus Christ, and sometimes the, the why of our struggle in believing this scripture is because we misunderstand the grace of God. Not misusing the grace of God, but we misunderstand the grace of God. We think the grace of God comes simply for the fact of our justification, of our becoming children of God, okay? And we understand that, we get that. By grace you're saved through faith. And so we understand that God's grace is there, but we think that it's confined to that. But listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter two. In Titus chapter two, beginning in verse 11, he says this, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And we get that part. Say, yeah, I got that, I got that. We come to salvation through the grace of God. But he doesn't stop there. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. See, we begin to think that the grace of God saves us, but that the, the struggle with sin or becoming what God says we are is totally dependent on our own efforts, on what we can do in our own strength. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And Paul says, no, the grace of God is there for this whole thing. The grace of God is there for it. Uh, listen to a couple of other uh, scriptures. Ephesians 5.18. And I, I can't remember, I may have even uh, shared this last time I preached here. But uh, in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, again, I'm not a Greek scholar, uh, but reading uh, those who are more of Greek scholars uh, begin to understand that the grammar 
of this phrase is really telling. Uh, first of all, it's, it's an imperative. It's a command. Without fail, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. Uh, the number is uh, plural. All of you, everyone, everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ, without fail, be filled with the Spirit. The tense of the verb has this sense of an action that has continuing results. All of you, without fail, continue to be filled with the Spirit. But the really cool thing with this verse is that the voice is passive. All of you who name the name of Jesus Christ, without fail, continue to allow God to fill you with his spirit. It's God who is doing the acting. We are being acted upon. God fills us with his spirit. And so we're saying, all of you, without fail, continue to allow God to fill you with his spirit. Continue to allow him to put his character in you. Continue to allow him to carry on to completion what he has begun in you. Uh, one last verse here, because this thing is so important. Colossians 1.27 says, It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, Max Lucado in his book, uh, Grace, uh, that I would actually highly recommend uh, to you. I don't agree with everything he says in the first chapter. He has an open door that I wish he would have taken a little bit more. But overall, really, really good book, uh, Grace by Max Lucado. And in that, in that first chapter, he says, for a long time, he says, I missed this whole thing of Christ in you. He says, I believed all the other prepositions in Scripture with it. He says, I knew Christ is for me. He is with me. He is ahead of me. I understood that I work beside Christ, under Christ, with Christ. He says, but it never dawned on me that it's Christ in me. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Uh, again, even, even to the, the Galatians, Paul, in fact, when he starts this whole letter to the Galatians, he, I mean, he just starts off saying, dudes, that's the New World Translation, dudes, what are you thinking? He says, you started off so well. You, you started off understanding that our, your salvation is through the grace of God. And now you're trying to continue it in your own strength. And he comes to this point where he says that he's, it's like he is in the pains of childbirth with the Galatians. He said, until Christ be formed in you. So sometimes we we doubt or we struggle with this scripture because we misunderstand the grace of God. We don't understand that it's, it, it continues. It's, it's, for the whole, it's for the whole journey. Sometimes it's because we don't understand God's sense of timing. Again, this is part of what Pastor Sam was uh, talk, uh, talking about a couple of weeks ago in a different context in the promises of God uh, to the, the children of Israel 
that he was going to bring them out of Egypt. It had been some 400 and some years, and, and they weren't seeing this promise happening. And so we talked about it, and uh, Pastor Sam spoke about it in that kind of context. But here is the thing. While, yes, we do struggle against sin as we grow in God's grace, and we'll come back to that in just a minute, it's always in the context of relationship. That's what God wants. He wants us in relationship, and relationship takes time. A relationship is the hardest work you can take on. The, the context for this message, the whole context for this message this morning uh, was the, the Thursday, I, I lead a Bible study on Thursday nights, and we're going through the book of Genesis. And we've been through uh, for a few weeks now in the life of Abraham. And Abraham's called a man of faith, and he was. Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. And the New Testament takes off on that whole truth. But the truth is, he didn't necessarily start off that way, uh, at least not consistently. Abraham gets stalled on the journey. God says, you're, you're, I want you to go over here. He gets partway there, and he gets stalled in Haran uh, until the death of his father, Terah. And then he continues on. Uh, we, when he's in Canaan, he moves without any mention of God saying to him uh, to move. He goes to Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, he's quite willing to give away his wife to someone else. In fact, he does that twice that we know of. Uh, at one point, God, God has given him this promise of, as, of a child. But it's been a lot of years. It's been a lot of years since God gave this promise. And, and, and Abram and Sarah, they don't see it happening. And so they come up with their own plan. And they say, look, either God can't do this thing, either he's forgotten about us or, you know, he made a promise that he's just not really able to keep uh, or we misunderstood him or something. Uh, and, and so let's, I've got this idea. Let's try it this way. And so they try to fulfill God's promise for them, for him, through Hagar on their own. David, he's called a man after God's own heart. But he had major struggles with lust. At least eight wives at the same time. And one that he stole from someone else, his best friend, one of his best friends, and then had his best friend killed. Moses is called in Scripture the most humble man on the face of the earth. Seriously? When Moses is in Egypt, he kills an Egyptian who is mistreating one of the Israelites. And you come to the New Testament and it connects that story to Moses saying that when Moses did this, he, Moses thought that everyone around him was going to see this and, and see I'm the man. God's, God's saving you through me. Don't you see this? And when God didn't do that immediately, he ended up having to run for his life to the desert. And 40 years later, when we, when he, we come to Exodus, where Pastor Sam was preaching the other week, 40 years later, he's still pouting about it. That God didn't use him way back here when he was ready to and when he thought he would. John, the Apostle John, is called the disciple 
whom Jesus loved. And he wrote so much about the love of God. And yet, John and his brother James had major anger issues. Uh, to the point that they got the nicknames Th Sons of Thunder <laughs> because of their anger issues. And you say, Bruce, what's the point? The point is this, that all of this does not happen suddenly. All of this change that we want to see in our life, it doesn't happen suddenly. It's always in the context of relationship, and it always takes time. And God is in this for the long haul. He always has been. God has always been in this thing for the long haul. He's never, or rarely anyway, on our timetable. But he's never late. And right with that, together with that, sometimes, often, we don't, uh, we doubt this scripture because we don't understand the way that God sees. Uh, again, let's explain it with a couple of scriptures. In Isaiah 53, um, I love this. It's, it's the uh, picture of the suffering servant. And Isaiah 53, uh, verse 11. Sorry, my glasses don't work this way. Verse 11. In NIV, it says, the, after the suffering of his soul, he'll see the light of life and be satisfied. Uh, but I love it in the King James. It says, he will, he will see the result of the suffering of his soul, and he'll be satisfied. He'll see the result of the suffering of his soul, and he'll be sad. What was the result of the suffering of his soul? It was us. It was me. It was you. I don't get that. And Jesus sees ahead to what we will become, to what God will make us, and he says, yeah, that's worth it. I'll do that. I'll do that. That's worth it. I am satisfied with that. Do you get this? God talks about us. That's why God talks about us as though this was all completed. As though he talks in terms of, of it all being done because he sees our ending. He sees what he makes of us. Uh, one more picture here in Romans again, uh, chapter 8, verse 30. And I, I think that uh, Pastor Sam had alluded to this as well uh, the, other, the other week. Uh, but in Romans chapter 8, Verse 30, it says, And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Has God glorified us yet? No. Not, not, not functionally. But he speaks as though it has already happened. In his scene, it has. He sees the ending, and it is accomplished just as really as if it was already there. We don't understand sometimes that the scripture in Philippians because we don't understand God's way of seeing. He sees the end of it, and he sees what he's making of it. So what do, what do we do? Uh, I, I want this to be encouraging to you, so what do we do? And let's start at the beginning. I don't know all of you. You may be here this morning, and none of this really uh, even hits at you because God has not begun his good work in you. But he can. Today, this morning, 
That can happen. It's as simple as saying, I believe what God has said. I believe what God has said about himself, that he is the only God, that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, and that when Jesus died, he died for me. I believe what God said about himself, and I believe what God said about me, about us, about me, you, all of us, that every one of us is a sinner in need of a savior. So I believe what God said. And I bow my knee to Jesus. I acknowledge to Jesus, whether I have noticed it or not, you are my Lord. Whether I have said it or not, you are my Lord. I bow my knee. I acknowledge Jesus Christ as my Lord. And I ask him to be my savior. Forgive my sin. Help me to live my life for you. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. To begin the good work. But if you're here this morning, and you, you already know, you know Jesus Christ, and you know that he has begun the good work in you, how do you respond? Uh, first of all, thank God. Uh, that was the, the verses just before this, just before Philippians 1.6. In, in, in Paul saying, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So thank God. Thank God for what he's doing, even if you don't see it fully, let, fully yet. Even if you don't see it. And please don't misunderstand. Uh, this is not the power of positive thinking. Uh, this is not a name it and claim it kind of thing. It, it's simply starting with saying, okay, God, I will believe what you have said about me. I will believe that what you have started, you will complete. And I thank you for that. Another thing, if you need to, go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. That's what we have to do sometimes in our relationships. Uh, go back to where you started. What was your focus then? What were your actions then? What was your relationship like then? Before life distracted you. Uh, Jesus' letter to uh, Ephesus in the book of Revelation, he writes to Ephesus, he says, look, you're doing all kinds of great things. You're doing a lot of really good stuff, but you've forsaken your first love. Remember, remember, go back. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Sue and I uh, celebrated our 41st uh, wedding anniversary. And those are sometimes good times. To, to, to go back, to look back, you know. Why did we get married, you know? And so sometimes it may mean uh, going back. It means sometimes doing the things that you did at first. Relationship takes a lot of effort. But you don't do it out of obligation. You do it out of love. There are certain things that for the last 41 years I do and certain things I don't do. And it isn't because, okay, yep, can't do that, got to do that. No, it's because of love. It's, it's, it's a relationship, and it's out of love. It's out of love. So it may mean making more priority for time with God in his word, in prayer, 
But revisit your starting point, your, your why for becoming a child of God. Revisit that. Go back to the beginning. Another thing, trust God's timing. Uh, again, it, it, these all go together. Remember that it's built in relationship and that relationships are long distance runs. They're not sprints. Uh, don't, start, stop, don't stop working out your own salvation. Just a chapter over in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's got both sides of it. I, I, yes, I understand that relationships are difficult. Relationships take effort. Relationships take work. But on the other side, he says, it is God working in you, and please catch us, both to will and to do. I can't even choose to follow God without God's help. I can't even will to follow God except God has given me that will, much less carry it out. But he says, do this, work out your salvation, understanding that it is Christ in you. It is God working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Can we add one more? Matthew 10, verse 8, uh, Jesus' words. He said, freely to his disciples, he said, freely you've received, freely give. Freely you've received, freely give. If you see how much grace God has given you, how much time God has given you, how much time he has given me, can I turn around and give that same to someone else? Can I turn around and give that same grace to others? We're so good, I am so good at excusing ourselves while we accuse and condemn others. Uh, learn to look at what God's doing in others too. Even if it's happening at a different pace than it's happening in your life. Uh, another uh, book, uh, Growing Grace. Uh, I love it in, in that the, the author, he gives three pictures uh, of different people in scripture. Daniel just shoots right up the, the, the line. It's just like a, a rocket taking off. Daniel's growth in grace. Peter, uh, he says it's fits and starts, you know. Peter's right here one moment and two steps back the next. And then he's back over here and then he's two steps back again. And then he's back ahead and then he's a step back again. Uh, and he calls them fits and starts. And then he talks about Timothy, who uh, his growth was just so gradual. And Timothy, uh, Timothy I can relate to. I absolutely can relate to Timothy. His struggle was with fear, you know, to the point that Paul had to continue over, over his whole ministry. Paul's telling him, look, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a strong mind. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. When, when he sends Timothy to the, the church at Corinth, he specifically writes to the church and says, 
don't you do anything to make him afraid. <laughs> I can get Timothy. But can we look at others and give that same grace and begin to look for what God is doing in their life, for how God is working in their life? And more than anything, in the end, uh, trust God's grace. Trust God's grace. It is true. Being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Will perform it, if you want that word. Will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay. And I apologize. I see this is a very short message. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, this week, uh, read, read the whole first chapter of, of Philippians. Put it into context. Put this, this picture into, into the context. Read Philippians 1. Uh, pray as you're led by this scripture. Uh, remember, continue to remember and to, to work on memorizing Exodus 4, 11 and 12. And do, I want to suggest this, ask God for an opportunity to encourage someone else with this scripture. Ask God for an opportunity to encourage, because it, there is nothing like looking for this in someone else's life to help me begin to see what God's doing in my own life. Okay? There's nothing like seeing it in someone else to help me see it in, in myself. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you so much for your word. Your word's enough for us. And you have given us this promise that what you have begun, this good work that you have begun in us, you will complete. I pray for any here this morning who, has, who have not put their trust in Jesus Christ, that they would do that today, that this would happen today, that you would begin your good work in them. For the rest of us, Help us to trust you. Help us to have that confidence that what you have started, you, you will complete in us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.